in a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image. There is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream, and behind every geek is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy Paul, as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16 year olds in English. Hear their stories exclusively on fantastic universes. It's one of them like, you've ever gonna grow up? And I'm like, no, why should I? I, I like my life, I, I enjoy what I do, this is my hobby. Available on all your favorite podcast catchers. where we do a deep dive into an ongoing series or graphic novel from a company other than the big two. And this time we've decided to go back to the well of potentially, essentially what is the big three. I mean, we pretend that Image Comics is an independent, but that's silly. <laughs> and DC owns <clears throat> Dark Horse now anyway, so whatever. But we're here to discuss Image Comics Kick-Ass with uh, my guest, Dave, the podfather, who was here 100 episodes ago for the first time, which was episode one. So it's episode 101. So Dave is back in the in the chair. Uh, he and I were talking out there. It was one year ago, December of 2020, when we were like, we should do kick-ass next year. And then we didn't. We did three other things in 2021. This is one of them. But here we are now, finally doing kick-ass. It is, it is, this is coming out in January of 2022, uh, episode 101. So thanks to Dave that this show exists. So thank you, Dave, for being here to launch the next 100, just like you heard to launch the first 100. It's so awesome. So thanks for having me, Tony. I can't believe it is 101 episodes now. Um, I, time has just moved in a very strange pace. You know, the last couple of years, it doesn't seem that long ago where we were talking about this whole concept. And, you know, because initially, I think in my mind, I was thinking, oh, well, you know, Tony writes for DC News. So, uh, you know, he probably wants to do some DC stuff. And you're like, <laughs> well, actually, I'm more passionate about the indie stuff. And it's like, well, that is brilliant, you know, because I think I've, I've said many times before, you know, I'm kind of died in the wool Marvel, really. I do yeah. try and educate myself more on the DC side, but I, I always feel like it's a bit more of a slog. And when I go back to Marvel, it's like a comfortable pair of slippers. But even with things like the X-Men now, I've just lost touch because it's so damn complicated because they've got so many books because they know if they slap X-Men on it, it sells. And so I just lose track. But where it does feel great is those indie comics, which are generally shorter stories. You don't have to deal with 70 years or 90 years of, back history or what have you and uh continuity and and so i i love the indie stuff and i just think the the coverage and the the discussions that you've had 
over all those uh, episodes has just been brilliant. And, uh, you know, it, it's opened my eyes, I'm sure, as it has. I'm sure it has as a lot of listeners as well. Yeah, thank you for that. And I, I agree. I think, like, um, you know, the one that was just before this, so episode 100 is Sin City, which is weird that I waited. I mean, I was like, that was on the emotional list of 10 I sent you. And, uh, but Sin City, we're actually going to cover Sin City all year. Heath, who was my co-host on that, um, we're going to, every two months, we're going to do a different volume. So by December of 2022, all of Sin City. So we'll probably be reaching out to some other folks to be like, we want a third chair for like Yellow Bastard or something, you know, some of the bigger, bigger ones. So, yep. um, you know, but that's it. That's, that's Dark Horse. This is image. You know, we'll do some of the big ones, but then I just yesterday recorded, um, um, actually, because everything's kind of all out of order. This was something that happened. I already had everything in the can for episode 100. And there's this guy, he's a, he's a musician, actually. I've been a big fan of his. He's called MC Lars. He's a nerdcore rapper. Um, and he actually had a comic book, comic strip called 27th Street that I loved. Mm-hmm. We, again, just like this, about a year ago, we were emailing each other. It just didn't happen. And he sent me something. He's like, hey, man, I've got this new album coming out. Do you think we could do something? And then I could be on the show and help promote the album. I'm like, sweet. So we just recorded that. So nobody's ever read 27th Street, but he gives it away for free on online. So it's like a web comic. So it'll be oh, cool. Wow. So hopefully people will listen. It was a real fun interview. And we talk about music. And uh, I brought up our discussion that we had on Discord about uh, Spotify, actually. So listen to that. Yeah, show. Yeah. You'll hear yeah. um, a, a musical artist answer to Spotify. So it has been, I mean, I've got to, again, meet Lars, who's a big, big fan. I've had Kelly Sue DeConnick on here, you know, mm. and, and yeah, uh, Mark yeah, Russell yeah. And, and Don Chin. So it's been very, like, it's crazy to me, Tom Pear, you know, and that's been amazing. And I love meeting those people. But it's like this, like I, getting to know you guys and having this, because I'm not good with friends. I'm bad with people um, in general. So it's been nice to just have other nerds. There was a, there was a skit on Saturday Night Live a couple of weeks ago. It was called Man Park. Where it was like the women we're like, I come home from work and my husband gets right up in my face and he starts saying things at me and I don't know what he's talking about. So they take yeah. it to the man park. So, <laughs> so I feel like it doesn't have because we've obviously got women on the on the team, but it's like nerds. It's nerd park. So I appreciate you giving me this platform and it has been fun and hopefully hundreds of more to go. Right. Absolutely. And it was more luck, really, wasn't it? Because honestly, uh, you know, having the whole Comics in Motion family, and I do have to give Paul from Superhero for Dummies a lot of credit for that as well, because we were just, you know, we were chatting in a like Twitter group, weren't we? And it, it was tough to really keep track of things. And, you know, I'd had a little bit of experience with Discord and you know, just having the different threads, but it was like, will that work? And and Paul suggested it and gave, you know, as that push to like, okay, well, let's try it out. And then if it's if it's not working, we'll we'll ditch it. But it's it's been absolutely brilliant. And uh yeah, having that coincide with the pandemic for the last couple of years has been like a it's been a great release. I mean uh, you know, I don't know where I'd be, quite honestly, mentally, if, you know, I wasn't speaking to you guys on podcasts and things and, you know, thinking, right, well, the next project is this, so I need to either watch this or read this. You know, it keeps your brain ticking along, doesn't it? And and I think I, I feel quite privileged that that is the case because I think, well, if I was just sat in the house, like, stewing with my own thoughts, that's never usually a good place to be. So, no, it's been it's been fantastic. It has. And I like what you said, and that will tie into this. Because when you look at 
kick-ass, like on its surface, and especially the way the movie was made, and the way, not even the way the movie was made, because I think the movie was made very well, but I think the way the movie was perceived, and the title, and the mm-hmm. dick jokes, and all of that stuff. So I think there's this idea that this is just a silly, there's nothing, there's no depth there. But like you just said, this keeps your brain going, and for me, the, you know, the person who loves literature, who's an English teacher, who wants to do literary analysis on everything I watch, like I can't just watch it, like everything is ruined, like I've ruined, when I used to teach literary theory, I would like ruin kids' childhoods. And I'd be like, let's take a look, deep literary yeah, look yeah. at Pooh. And they're like, fuck right off. Or um, have you ever heard of Frog and Toad? Of that I don't thing think so. There's this series called Frog and Toad are Friends. And it's a frog and a toad and they're friends. But we, I, applied, I said, today we're going to do queer theory. And we read Frog and Toad. And then at the end, everybody's like, ah, oh, Frog and Toad. They are special friends. I'm like they are. That is the it was the code <laughs> word that was used by a lot of religious folks. So they're like right. special friend. And so it was just a lot, you know, but to me, that's always fun. So that's whatever it is, whether it's movies or comics or whatever, I always like to to do that, to do that dig. And it does keep you because no matter what show you're on, no matter who you're talking to, even if it's just something a lighthearted romp, you're still being forced to think, how did I react to that? And I agree. So I just think having this platform and the what Matt does with his classic comic show and how he's really making us think about like everything that we love, where did it come from? You know, it's just such a, it's fun how it all bleeds together. And I, I just, I've enjoyed it. So it definitely keeps me going. And it probably, again, keeps my wife from wanting to punch me in the throat. <laughs> yeah, which is always good. Always um, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, Matt's last issue. I, I know he's been out of action for a little bit. His last episode, absolutely brilliant. I, I know, it. the Green Arrow one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, so good. But he literally, Tony... through that one for a while, too, because that's a monster oh, book. Oh, it's a chunky yeah. old book, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this is proper research. Like, you know, it's an hour episode, but there is, yeah. you know, t- at he's least tens historian. of hours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's tens of hours that go into the research for each episode, but also there's the... The knowledge from history you know that having that wider knowledge uh, as well but literally tony i have to say i i'm so looking forward to this chat and you are literally the single person in the world that i want to talk to right now about this book because i loved kick ass the movie i watched the movie first and then i went back and you know i read the it was all collected then so i read the full there's only a two, uh, two year gap anyway yeah, uh, yeah, it was one of the things that Mark. I'm I'm going to continue to call him Millar because that he that's, prefers Miller, but it's spelled. He Millar does prefer and Miller. Can't handle it. And Sorry, so you know, I I just I can't. It's spelled with an A R, so it's Millar to me. I I think I I just loved it, and it one of the criticisms Millar gets is is he really writing comics or is he writing, you know, a screenplay for a movie and that's where he's going to make his money because this was, you know, the, the, um, the book was coming out as the film was being made, the film wrapped before the last issue came out. And it's like, dude, this isn't in the spirit of comics, you know, but, um, I, I loved the book and I thought it was so great. And, and I still on this reread, I still think there are a lot of things that I love about it. But I have to say, rereading it this time, I found a lot more things that were quite problematic. And I, I've kind of had, you know, when you've got your more primitive brain and it gives you a feeling 
and you're not entirely sure how to structure that into thoughts and and you know put it into words even in to explain to yourself well i have this feeling well what does that actually mean so i'm hoping through this conversation it helps me even understand my own thoughts on this book because i i don't know if i'm just running up a, a rabbit hole here um but i definitely had a different reaction rereading it this time I, I agree. I, I felt, and it was funny because when we did um, Wanted, also mm-hmm. in the Millerverse, Millerverse, um, we I came into it prep with trepidation because, I, you know, it always made always gave me a sick feeling in the bottom of my stomach, and there's some of that here. And I think the way that the series has progressed, that there's the mm-hmm. new Hit Hit, uh, yeah. Hit Girl has continued, and the Kevin Smith run on Hit Girl, where Hit Girl tackles Hollywood, that's pretty brutal. Um, as you can imagine, it would be. Um, and you mm. know, as a guy who's in Hollywood, who knows that where the bodies are buried, but has never really mm. been part of the team. So it's interesting yeah. that Kevin Smith did that one. Um, and then obviously the new, they call it the new girl, uh, kick ass, which is a woman mm-hmm. patient's lead. So there's this, um, I think, I think Miller is, and, and Vaughn actually is writing some of this too, but I think he's looking back. I think this new stuff is a way to maybe correct some of it because, you know, from 2008 to 2018, when the new stuff came out, and now we're in 2021, you want to say like all the technology and everything for the most part is pretty much the same, right? Other than it was MySpace instead of Facebook and whatever, it's still the internet. It's still the same thing. And the movie captures yeah. that. So all of this stuff about the spectacle that is there is still there regardless. But I think, I think there's some issues. And I think the second 16 books or the second eight books Kick-Ass Part 2 is actually the one I dislike the most because of the way that Red Mist is featured so much. Mm. And we're not, and what happens, um, what he does um, yeah, as a character yeah. and, and the assaults and all this stuff. And that's always a, a problem I have with Millar as Miller. Is he, he's happy to stick that shit in there. And it's like, dude, okay, it can happen off page, but he's happy to show you a little bit too much. And it's kind of like what we talked about with The Crow. You mm. and Chris talked about with The Crow and and actually the comic handles those things better than the movie does. <laughs> um, so I hear what you're saying. So yeah, I think this will be good. So maybe at the end you could come out and you'll be like, fuck, I hate this. And that'd be okay too, if that's what if that's what ends up happening. I think, you know, and, and we'll get onto the specifics because I, I feel like I'm yeah. being quite vague. I actually, I, I don't want to come across like a Millar apologist, but I think what he's written in more recent years it's not just him necessarily growing as a person because he's kind of recognized, uh, you know, he was just, he was incorrect. I, I think it's kind of almost reflecting society. I, I don't, the problem is not Mark Millar. The problem is the whole system that produced him in the first place and programmed him to think in a certain way. And I think it's only in more recent years where understanding how we've been programmed and our thinking about that. In in my case, I definitely think that is relevant because I've rec- I feel like I've recognized things now that I wouldn't have recognized in years gone by. And and you know, Mark Millar has come from a little town in Scotland, you know, not diverse at all. Um, you know, where I grew up wasn't diverse at all and and what comes across on tv and 
movies and everything, especially, you know, Chris and I discuss a lot on the VHS Strikes Back. You you only realize when you look back, it's like, holy shit. You know, some of this was so wrong. How did no one recognize this at the time? You know, I mean, we oh, what were we talking about the other week? I mean, Rhea's that did um Greece too, didn't she? Yeah, With, yeah. Uh, Tanya. Oh, was it? Tanya. And um I think they mentioned on that, but I remember going back and watching Greece and then that whole fucking line about did she put up a fight? And it's yeah. like, are you fucking serious? In the song. We, were all, yeah. we were all dancing away, say, did she put up a fight? Oh, it's fucking funny, yeah. isn't it? Rape. And you know, I just we had a very warped sense. And so I, I again, I, I'm seeing things, and I don't think it's fair to judge a book that was released all those years ago against the standards of today. It's just literally, it's like, oh wait, okay, that reflected the things of the time, and that's that's what it is. We shouldn't try and censor it. We shouldn't try and change it. It's just that's what it was. And look how we've come as how far we've come as a society still got a load more uh way to go massive amount of way to go but i feel like it's the first steps and i think Millar as a person is on that journey as well so oh i i totally agree i think i mean again i you know i I feel like when you look at his stuff the stuff that he's doing now the new kick-ass stuff the new hit girl stuff and that's not all him he farms that out, but you know, it's still his verse. So he still mm-hmm. has his fingers in that. No, I agree. And I think that's important to see. Um, and you see that in, in most people, I think uh, the legend uh, who we had bad news about recently, mm. um, George and, and Marv were in the minority of people who were woke before woke happened. Like, and Danny yeah. O'Neill. And I've often said, and Heath and I talked about this on the hundredth episode. And I said it when I, when um Max and I did the hard traveling heroes that I, I grew up in a very similar situation mm-hmm. in a small whitey McWhitey bird shithole. Um, and I mean, it's a fine town. Sorry. The two people who are there who may be listening to this, but listen, <laughs> there's a reason I don't go back, but here's the thing. Denny O'Neill. I always say Denny O'Neill raised me um, because reading those green lantern books, reading the hard traveling hero stuff, reading what he did, you know, he created John Stewart, mm. who was my favorite green lantern for the longest time. He, he gave us, um, he showed me how to be a person, how mm-hmm. you could be a white privileged rich guy like Oliver Queen. And, you know, Oliver Queen for the most of his run with Danny O'Neill is a, is a freedom fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the anti-Batman. Everyone's like, oh, Green Arrow is just Batman with an arrow. So I'm like, you're not reading the book. You're not reading it correctly if you think that. And I know that in the show Arrow, They've tried because they didn't have the rights to Batman. So they're like, we'll just make Green mm. Arrow and we'll even give them some Batman villains and we'll turn it into that. I'm like, okay, I hear all that. However, Green Arrow has always been, um, you know, way more of a, of a bleeding heart liberal and Batman is totally mm. voting Republican, right? And yeah, there's no, yeah. you know, so <laughs> let's not pretend that Bruce Wayne is, is a liberal at all. We're all so, so I learned from comic books. And so, but I still think, and Perez and Wolfram with those early Teen Titans books, those were so informative to me. Like Cyborg was my favorite Titan forever. You know, he's, I still love him as a character and he's so great. And, and I like learned how to be, you know, like Jericho was a mute character in a comic book. And Perez has always said, I invented Jericho so Marv wouldn't give him anything to say. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of all the, having to try to draw around <laughs> yeah. all of Marv's words. It's like so smart, yeah. but it's also... 
you know, so like those men, you know, gave me something. They were way far ahead of the game. They were, you know, in like the term woke is somehow now used as a derogatory it's, term. Which it's we weaponized, isn't it? It's, so it's weaponized as a derogatory term, but yeah. you and know, so whatever say, label Mark, we stick on it. It's so dumb. And so to say Mark Millar has woke up is a good thing. He has. And I think that's good. And I think us looking back, because that's what Jack and I are doing with the show with season's greetings, right? We're looking back on stuff that we loved, but also has problems. And we're acknowledging those problems and how we can love the art and not love the message. And I think there's going to be a lot of that in this today. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a good table setting. So for those of you who don't know what kick-ass is, um, and I think it was important that we spent that time setting the table because that is the frame of the conversation. Because it would be easy to just be like, oh my God, JRJR is the greatest artist ever. And we just like live inside what John Reminder Jr. does in this, which of course we will talk about. And when Max and I were talking about the, the uh, you know, who was number four on the Mount Rushmore, you know, obviously it's Ditko, it's Kirby, it's George Perez, mm -hmm. who's four. My gut reaction was Jim Lee. And he's like, yeah, that, his was Alex Ross. He said, but JRJR or his dad both could be in the conversation. And, you know, mm. rereading Kick-Ass, hard to look at John Ryder Jr. and be like, well, I mean, at least you're at the foothills of the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. I mean, but, so we're not going to just do that. It could easily turn into that because this is a book about vigilantism. It's about um, white privilege. It's about, um, you know, the influence of, of popular culture, not just comic books. It's commentary on the early ages of the internet. It was really prophetic for 2008. Um, all wrapped up inside of this kid, Dave Lazowski, who decides one day I could be a superhero. And it's something that every comic book fan in his or her right mind, or and when I say that, wrong mind, has thought I could do that. We've all wanted to do it. And so Dave does it. And um, he gets the shit kicked out of him right away. And so what do you make of the fact that right off the bat, our hero literally gets his ass handed to him? And there's most of what issue two is Dave in a hospital bed. So subversive so different than everything you thought it would be the first time you read, you had already seen the movie though, but the book goes way into it more. So how surprised were you at how badly he gets his ass kicked right at the beginning? Oh, I, I wish I'd have just picked this up off the comic stands and was just experiencing that for the first time. Like you say, cause that's in the movie first. I went the other way too. I saw the movie first too. Yeah. And, and the thing is I, I, I do still love the movie. You know, I, I think when I saw the trailer, the trailer puts it across like it's this kind of, you know, like scary movie or something like that. It's a spoof movie. Yeah, and that's what I expected. I was expecting a spoof movie. So I wasn't expecting something to be quite so damn good. And, and it really was. And um, yeah, but if I, if I go back to the book, it is great because like you say, every certainly every nerd kid has thought well actually i could do you know that. all right i can't climb walls but what could i do what about if i built myself a technological suit when i was older so you know if i studied hard at school and i could build myself like an iron man suit i literally thought and then if i if I built this Iron Man suit, could I go to the Olympics? I remember having this whole That's conversation amazing. in my head. I love that. <laughs> and so it was, it was a very serious conversation that I was having in my head. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the things I love about this book is how it just, it, it makes so many nods to 
what we know in terms of comic books. You know, there's nods to Batman, to Spider-Man, you know, all the different things have not been bitten by a radioactive spider. You know, when his mum passes away, he, he there's a flashback. There's a Batman like, scene. I will avenge you, you know, kind of thing. Absolutely brilliant. And that's what Millar does so, so well, because, you know, we're in this kind of Millarverse, but they're aware of our comics, you know, the Marvels, the DCs, all this kind of thing. So, so that's what I love. And like I say, all those little nods are fantastic. And, and it takes it to its almost, or not natural conclusion, but by episode two or issue two, you know, he gets his ass kicked as you would do. <laughs> you know? so, no unlike most of us, it, yeah. it didn't stop at the thought process of, well, what if I did this? and never do anything about it. He takes it to the next level, and we're kind of interested, well, where is this going to go? Well, predictably, probably, he gets his absolute arse handed to him. And, yeah, it, it's such a brilliant... Um, it's such a brilliant narrative, but also, I do love John Romita Jr.'s artwork. Oh. You know, his... I'm going to use that word, cinematography. You know, his choice of camera angles and how, you know, the... The adults, because when when you're a young teenager or, or, you know, that kind of, I guess he's like 16 or something like that, you you haven't filled out with muscle. You're hunchy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the way that he draws the bigger characters, you know, just slamming them into the wall and stuff. It's just absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, I, 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 I think that's that's one of the great things that this book does. Yeah. And I think. I agree with all that. What I love about it in those first two issues is, is where we're kind of the setup. You know, we set the table for the big theme, but we need to set the table for the story too. Is And I sent, I tweeted out a picture of Dave saying, why does everybody want to be, you know, Paris Hilton? Yeah. And, and, and th that is part of a bigger panel where Dave and his friends are talking about, you know, what to do. And there's this, and, and I, this, this all hits, a, hits home with me with some of the stuff that I teach. So I teach a lot of liberal arts studies courses, um, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to get people in the last class they take before they graduate, it's called the senior seminar and it's reflection. It's a course that's looking forward and backward. You're like, what are you gonna do with your life and what, how did your education help you? And how important is money? We were talking off air before we started about, you know, your job and my job, my, my, what my youngest is gonna do and how those two, how, what she's gonna do and what you do coincide and she's gonna make bank. But she's taking a route that will make her plenty of money, but is going to make her less money because she wants to do research instead of like go, you know, go out and, you know, and work for maybe a big company or do something else and, and monetize it. She just wants to do good work. She wants to be an immunologist and, and, and make money for other people. And make money for other people because <laughs> she doesn't care. Right. And so, yep. but there's this, so this, there's this moment where Dave makes this moment of realization. It's not about adrenaline. It's not about anything. It's that he doesn't see how, being an accountant or being a teacher or being an IT or being an astrophysicist or whatever is worth it because there's no, he can't be, And again, this is what, what you just said, like he's, his teenage brain isn't developed. He's 16. He can't see how being an accountant can help people. Of course it can. I can't do that shit. I, you mm -hmm. know, you know how an astrophysicist can help it. He can't see it. So to him, because everything is so visceral and immediate. He's like, I don't need money. I just want to do something good. And his dad is a nurse. So his dad helps people every day and yep. he can't see that as a job that helps people because it's not now. 
that's later. I don't see him mm -hmm. help those people. That's abstract. And so I think what Laura does so perfectly with Dave is capture what we all, what every nerd went through in the, and what every just child goes through, even if you're not a nerd, because um, we're all nerds about something. We're all geeks about something, as Paul tells us on his show. Like, you're all, this <laughs> is in a musical theater, right? So yeah. like, that's her thing. So she's probably like, of course I know who the understudy was and whatever. And you're like, I, but that's important to her. And yeah. that's visceral. And it's something you can get now. So how do you feel? That was my long-winded way to go. Where is, is Miller having this conversation? Like you set it up about growing up by capturing a moment in time that we've all been through where we need something now, like we can't be patient. Like if he were to just train and be like Mindy or be like Big, Big Daddy, he could maybe be a superhero, which happens in later books. But now he's just like, I got to do it now. I bought the suit. That's it. So he's capturing that that lizard brain that we all have that you also mentioned earlier off, uh, you know, off, off camera too. So go yeah, take that where you will. I definitely something maybe unexpected resonates there. Um, but what I'm I'm currently trying to teach my son and he's preteen. But I have the same conversation with my teenage girls as well. And what I constantly have a, a challenge to do is to um, convince them that where, what, whatever it is you take up, like if you were to take up tennis now, take up football, take up archery, take up uh, origami, take up anything, and you will have an innate capability in that area. So some people will just naturally be better. Wherever it is, that's where you are right now. But if you want to work at that, you need to work at it. And then you'll get better. And next week, you'll be better than when you were now. And next year, you'll be even better than that. So you have to start somewhere. And all of them seem to fail to grasp that, well, if I'm not good at it now, I'll never be good at it. And so what you're saying about, well, Dave, he doesn't want to put in the, the work at the gym. He doesn't want to do all the training. He wants to stick on a suit and go out there and help people. And he's sort of missing out a whole uh, phase there where he should be ramping up, you know, so he's in a position to help people. I mean, I personally, I blame my 80s movies upbringing for oh, things like that. Oh, I mean, if you can go through a week-long montage for, of training you know, do a few push-ups. By the end of the week, you're doing one-arm push-ups and one-arm pull-ups and everything. You can fight the ghost of Bruce Lee or Jean-Claude Van Damme. You could do all of these yeah, things yeah. in about a all, week. By the way, everyone, that is the entire plot of No Retreat and Miss Render. Yeah. That's what just happened. If you don't know, that's what just happened. I have to subtly sneak it in there. If I can't call it <laughs> yeah, out by name. <laughs> but... But I mean, that's not the only one, is it? Like Rocky, oh, yeah. you know. So, so Apollo Creed is the he's the world champion and just picks this bum who's who's hired muscle basically to to have a fight against. Like, could you see Muhammad Ali just doing that? Oh, well, it's a bit of publicity, isn't it? It's ridiculous. And movies taught us this shortcut to success, um, which is why but, the first Rocky is the best Rocky because he loses. Oh, because he would lose. Yeah, and you would not like Apollo acknowledges. He, it only went that far. It's his fault for not taking it seriously. Mm, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. that's that's why I love the first Rocky best because the hero loses because he should lose. Yeah. I yeah. mean, oh, oh, it is. <laughs> but 
I, I kind of have a, a love-hate thing. I, I absolutely critically and objectively agree with you. But, man, I love the just nonsense of it. I love the fact that, you know, you can get beaten up by uh, Clubber Lang and then, you know, do some retraining, rethink how he skips and moves his body and everything. And then the music Run on the beach all in slow kicks motion in. with Apollo. Yeah. I oh, mean, that's hugging in the sea. You know, it's just you can't beat it. There's nothing homoerotic <laughs> about Rocky Three at all. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, the whole 80s was quite homoerotic, to be honest. We just didn't realize it at the time. <laughs> Stallone knew. He was, he's smarter than everybody in every room. He knew exactly what he was doing. I think yeah, he's very subversive. Yeah. I don't think people want it to be because they're like gung-ho action. Like, he's all oiled up and muscly. He's oh, doing he that is, on purpose. He is a much smarter bloke than he, he's given credit for. Like yeah. say, the muscles is one thing, and he, he does play this play on this role my, my first my favorite um rambo movie is the first one first 100%. Blood, you know and he yeah. you know to put that together i, I just utmost respect um yeah. no a very impressive guy but but that was a long way of, of yeah. saying yeah absolutely i don't know if if millar is really talking to that wider society thing i think a lot of the things that he writes, he's writing with himself and his own experiences, sure. but also pandering a little bit to the fanboys, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, we are. I agree. I agree. 100%. However, once you release art into the world, it's theirs. It's ours. Yep. So yep. like you can, we can have this conversation say, you're right. Of course, that's what he's doing. But once it's out there, now we can look at it critically and say like, well, he didn't mean this, but the point is all, you know, all experiences are experiences, whether it's a nerd experience, whether it's because yeah, like yeah. you said, being an athlete, being a, being a writer, being a superhero, being a nurse. It's not like his dad woke up one day and is like, James Lazowski, you're a nurse. That didn't yeah. happen. He went to school. That took a long time. He had to go through a lot yeah, of yeah. hours and hours of of internships to get his job he didn't just wake up a nurse one day you know so it's like but you don't see that because dave can't see that yeah 16 year olds can't see that oh absolutely and um one of the thing that i found really interesting you mentioned myspace and the fact that yeah. you know well that that dates it things like the phones that that kind of dates it as well but he's almost on that tipping point of social media mm-hmm you know, if you think about social media now and influencers, he's actually quite early on in that because he's he basically gets famous because it, you know he gets his ass kicked. Actually, it's Somebody the second puts it time. On YouTube with a flip phone. Exactly, <laughs> it, it's the second time when he's got the metal plates and everything, and he's just trying to defend some random guy, do something heroic, uh, and people just think it's cool. Upload it to YouTube, goes viral. And so I think that's quite interesting that when you think about it back then, that was still in its infancy, really, wasn't it? Whereas now, they, you know, the amount of people who are just trying to get famous on YouTube, you know, and have something go viral, it becomes a very deliberate thing that you're just you're trying to do something to make it go yeah. viral. Whereas that was more of an accidental. Someone just was there with a camera phone and just happened to take it. Yeah. Well, and we're at that point now, too, where, I mean, I grew up 
you know, in a time when that wasn't a thing, but camcorders were becoming a thing. And so like, yeah, when you think back to what happened to, you know, to Rodney King way back when, for those mm. people who don't know, there was a beating of an unarmed black man. And you're shocked in America, that would happen. But it's true by police officers, shocking that that's something that's been happening forever, but it got cut on tape before yeah. they were, de- before everybody had a phone. It was literally yeah, yeah. A t- somebody. So what that means is someone stopped and recorded it, which is like, A, what? B, it was a, it was such a fluky thing. So I think Millar's, you know, like you said, he's at the cusp of everything where it was still just fluky because at the time not everybody mm-hmm. had a phone that had a camera that yeah. had internet capability that could have uploaded it. So it was like, it was still that same idea that it was just a one in a million chance and that all around the city in that moment that David's getting his ass kicked, somebody else is getting their ass kicked too. Just nobody's mm-hmm. there to see it. Um, so that is happening, you know, behind the scenes. And so I think, I think he's, he's definitely commenting on that, that, that need of don't put the camera down and help, but stand and take a picture is such a weird thing to me. And it's like, okay, even if, even if you don't want to get involved because you're like, there's four of them and they're going to kick my ass, use the item in your hand to call 911 or 999 in your country, do the thing. But no, it's yeah. like I got a video at first and then maybe I'll I'll sell it to a news, you know, I'll go viral because it'll say video property ups. Um, you're right. We've we've so I think it is a fluky thing, but it's also a comment on the spectator, you know, uh, mm-hmm. syndrome, like rubbernecking. I don't know if you guys have this problem over there, but if there's an accident on one side of the highway, oh, the yeah. other side has come to a dead stop, and you're like, oh my God, and as you're driving, you're thinking, must be a semi, you know, like. Yeah. crossed and it's in both lanes no nope, it's just people are slowing down to look like what the fuck what what are you hoping to see i i think unfortunately that that isn't a u.s thing or uk thing that's just an unfortunate thing about the human condition we've all got that morbid curiosity i think and so i i would imagine that happens in every country uh, you know it's it's something we all dislike particularly when other people do it not we we're very good at forgiving ourselves for stuff but we'll chastise other people you know and and i do it myself i'm like you know when you get out of that rubber neck so and you're thinking well is there a crash on our side no oh no oh no there's an accident over there and then you kind of slow down a little bit to have a look and and i try not to do it but it's yeah kind of have to have a look don't you so <laughs> well, yeah. we're going slow anyway we might as well like if i was exactly. in front of it i wouldn't stop you know? <laughs> yeah. and it's one thing like you see the accident so of course the first car stops because you see the accident so you want to be the witness and help the, you know and say here's what happened it was that guy's fault or whatever um and that's but in this case there's there's none of that no one intervenes to help him everybody just stands around and there's this huge crowd and i just think Gawker syndrome is a big is a big issue. It's and it's only gotten worse, like you said. And now we manufacture it. Now you know, in our country right now, there's this trial for uh, is it Jesse Smollett for the beat for the fake beating. He's an actor. He was on Empire. It was a few years ago in Chicago. He was um, uh, it was caught on tape that he got beaten up by these two guys. And and it right. turns out what what everybody's saying. He's on trial for it being that he hired the people to beat him up on camera for sympathy and because there was like they were going to wear trump hats it was this whole thing they beat him up because he was black and gay and all this i'm sure i really want that story to not be true because that makes Mm. me sad that he would think he would do that 
Um, but that's again where we're at. And it's like, well, if you are, if your mind says, well, I could get that on tape, I could film that, and people would believe it because no one gets, no one intervenes. You believe that everybody would stand around and watch these two guys beat me up because why would they stop? Because it's not what we do. Everybody's first reaction is, isn't holy shit, stop. It's holy shit, can I record it? You know. Yeah. And, and I think there's a few things, isn't there? There's a line I think Mindy uses later on where she says, what do you think this is? The silver age? I love you know, so that again, That's yeah. Because <laughs> he doesn't want to kill anybody. Yeah, exactly. He, he's doing the whole, like, uh, I guess, Batman or Daredevil thing. You know, he doesn't, you know, that's, he's not going to kill anyone because that's what he, heroes don't do that, you know? And, and so, um, yeah, she calls that out. But it, it is to contrast that against the more realistic world where, like you say, instead of actually helping someone, someone's going to film it on the camera phone. You know, and, and people just people don't want to get involved. And that's not because they're bad people themselves. It's like, well, they don't want to get their asses kicked as well or or just cause trouble, you know, and have something happen later on that, that's bad. So, yeah, I think it is just a really interesting contrast between yeah. the comic book that we're reading, which is commenting on comic books and just those real life consequences I, i'd mentioned at the top that there yeah. were some things that i that i felt uh that i that hadn't felt before not in a star wars way i'm yeah. not going to do a a, a mike can, burton here do it if you'd like to no so when i remember looking into like uh 300 you know and how that was drawn and everything that's another frank miller and i i remember i can't can't remember who the interviewers with and they said about you know a lot of the time in comics like the way people are drawn it's kind of shorthand for this is how the person is so the people who betrays everyone in uh 300 he's kind of handicapped he's got a hunchback and everything it's kind of shorthand for he's a bit of a despicable character and before kick-ass actually meets big daddy and hit girl he goes up against this group of black hooligans, Oof. gangsters, yeah. or what have you. Now, these are pretty much the first black characters that we meet in this book. And I can't, that's not to say that, well, can't you have people who are gangsters who are black? Well, of course you can. But are you representing equally? And I don't think this book does. Oh, no. You know, we meet Mindy's kind of adopted dad right at the end of the book but we don't know anything about him he's just he's in the background he just happened to be a black guy and that was the first thing was that visceral reaction to oh you're doing the whole shorthand thing of basically you've got this 16 year old underdeveloped kid you know going out and he's suddenly out of his depth because he's going up against all these angry black guys and that was one of the things that I just thought, well, fucking hell, that does not age well. Um, and, and again, you know, um, this is not to put anything on Millar or uh, John Romita Jr. Because this is also me. And when I've read it in the past, totally over my head. Didn't even uh, register at all on the scale in, in a even a little way. Whereas this time I was thinking, yeah, that's 
that's not right. You you're not representing equally there, and you're just doing the whole shorthand thing to say these are the these are big black guys and they're scary. And I think it it reoccurs that whole theme throughout the book later. No, I agree, and and I I, I see that completely. And I think you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it as you know Millar and and JRJR doing just what you're saying, or giving them the credit, which maybe they don't earn. But again, you know, um, because Fox and Wanted is, as we discussed, they, mm. they whitewashed her for the movie, which was weird, a weird yeah, choice because yeah. you had plenty of actresses who looked just like her. There was one that she was yeah. drawn to look just like who could have maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you could argue, and again, whether this is true or not, and I'm trying to give him credit or I'm not, I'm not absolving anything that you said. Everything that you just said is spot on and it happens all the fucking time. It happens. There's a couple of actors I've seen recently, uh, actors of color, Asian people and Middle Eastern men who said they'll no longer play villains. They're tired of it. Mm. Like, uh, there was one actor, an Asian actor, who said his kids have never seen him play a heroic character or even just play a regular schlub. Yeah, He's always yeah. a baddie. And I know Chris talks about this all the time. And anytime there's an Asian guy, that means he can do karate. Like in the Exterminators way back when, I think episode three of the VHS oh, Respect, yep. there was like Asian guy. Of course he does. Of course he's a ninja. You're like, but why? And you're just like, because that's the shorthand for the 80s. So I could argue everything you're saying is true, of course. But you could also say it's intentional because of Mindy's dad at the end. Because the best person in this whole book and... James, um, Jim Lazowski ends up with the woman of color later, right? Who's also got her own trauma, like the, the, mm -hmm. uh, his dad's girlfriend and, you know, and Kick-Ass doesn't have a problem with that. So you do see this, you, you do see that there's this, so maybe he's making a comment on this is what is always done, but you could also just look at it as icky too. You know, I, I see it both ways. I don't know, maybe I'm giving him too much credit based I, I on think, the other stuff I've seen him do. I, I think it's... Um... I don't think it's a deliberate thing. And that's why I'm not mm. going to chuck him under the bus. I, I'm going to uh, throw myself under the bus here. What what you just said there, I, I've mentioned a few times. So back in the day, uh, mid-90s, I, I did a bit of kung fu, did a couple of tournaments. And honestly, hand on heart, right? I remember being in this tournament and you're kind of looking around, you're scoping out other people. Now, these are all student level, so these are not your trained athletes or anything. So just to put it into They're context. They're not neo levels if I know Kung Fu. These are no. just like 16-year-old kids. And honestly, there was a Chinese guy there, and we instantly were all shit scared of him because we thought, well, he must be brilliant. He's just a British guy, we though. Yeah, he, he was rubbish. He was yeah. rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> And the thing is, what, a, what an awful expectation to put onto someone. I, I didn't do that because I was an arsehole. I'd been programmed to think you that way. 100%. Yeah. The Exterminators so, and every other movie from the 80s. I mean, everything you... I'd watched taught me that Chinese people were brilliant at Kung Fu. Yep. And, and uh, you know, again, it's just like any kind of stereotype that is just drilled into us. And so I, Millar is not the problem. Ramita Jr. is not the problem. They were just reflecting 
what they've been programmed to do. Sure. And and yeah. I think they have absolutely, you know, Millar in particular is course corrected. He's he has woken up. Um and it's just us looking back at this snapshot to say, you know, this is my own awakening, if you like, that, you know, something that didn't bother me before actually does bother me now. I think that's totally fair. I think that's reasonable. And um, and it should. I mean, and I think you see that, you know, you all, you see that all the time. And again, we live, I live in a country where, you know, like I mentioned Rodney King earlier, where this is, it's still a thing. Like in, in Georgia a couple of weeks ago, um, those three guys, those three white guys were actually found guilty for killing a guy who was just jogging. There was a black man. I don't know if that story made it over there, but there was a black man who's just running through a neighborhood. Three white guys were like, we thought you were stealing stuff. Cause you know how, when you're in your jogging trunks, you've got a TV down there. And um, they were like, we're going to make a citizen's arrest, which is code for dumb white people doing dumb shit. And, you know, ultimately, unfortunately, this gentleman lost his life and these fuckers are all going to jail. And I was worried that whole day I was pretty stressed out because Kyle Rittenhouse had been let off the day before. And so, um, you know, I, I was nervous and mm. about what would happen. And because that jury only had, it had 11 white people on it. Um, and which is again, silly. So you're 100% right. It is all about programming. And those three white guys thought they were going to get away with it. Cause they were just mm. like, we were scared of a black guy running through our neighborhood. Why was he running? Cause he, he's an athlete and he was running. People do yeah. that. People go for yeah, runs. Yeah. That's it. That's exercise. What the fuck? Yeah, I hear you. And I almost think I'm I'm absolutely not going to excuse them. Um, but again, they are programmed to think 100%. in a certain way. And and I think what what hadn't occurred to me up until recent years was, you know, I was like yourself. I was born in the seventies, grew up in the eighties, and so racism then was with a big R. Yeah, you know, people were vocally and openly racist. Yeah, and I think uh, certainly I deluded myself to think, well, you know, that through the '90s and more the 2000s, well, that wasn't the case. And so, you know, in my own head, I thought, well, racism doesn't really exist in the same way. Of course, you're always going to have a few idiots. And it's not, it's racism with a small R. It's about those prejudices and that, that you're not even aware of yourself. And sometimes I, I was talking with someone earlier today about this. Sometimes, you know, in projects, so project work is what I do. And you get to the end and you do a lessons learned and you say, oh, well, what could we have done better? And uh, someone said, well, we made an assumption and that turned out to be incorrect you know, because we didn't validate that assumption with the appropriate party. And, uh, you know, being a bit more seasoned now, uh, and some might say a bit more cynical. And like, <laughs> but the problem is with a lot of assumptions, you don't know you're making them. You can't validate every single thought that you ever have. You know, you right. never get anything done. So it, it, you can't make a general statement like, let's not make assumptions anymore. You make assumptions every day. You make assumptions every hour, in every meeting, in every conversation that you have. So it, it's difficult to say, well, let, let's never do that again. You've you got, you got to have something more actionable and, and tangible. But, um, but yeah, so, so for those guys, obviously, they're going to do their time. But that is not going to help society. Those three no, guys, that that's not solving reason. the problem. No. And, and I think 
we're just starting that journey where we're starting to understand what representation really is. The fact that someone doesn't uh, shout out racial slurs in the middle of the street, the fact that they don't do that doesn't mean that racism has gone away. And I think we all have to just think about how we're programmed to think. Um, yeah. And, and I'm, I feel borderline violated because I, I look back now and realize and recognize how much I've been programmed to think that way. No, I think that you're right about the programming because this is something where this is why I'm on Team Phelps with disliking Ghostbusters. And I'm sorry, everybody, but it's like, it's creepy. You can like all the things that you like, but when Eddie Murphy chose to not be in the movie, all of the good, the, all of the reasons that Ernie Hudson chose to do the movie, they took all the good lines away from him. And then he's almost, just, I mean, he's almost non-existent in that movie, the one mm -hmm. character of color. They actually, this is totally true. They made these white douchebags made at the time, one of the, I mean, she had just coming off Alien. Like Sigourney Weaver got the Alien job when that role was written for a man. And she came in, they're like, let's make her Ripley. That, I mean, she's a star, bona fide fucking mm. star. They made her audition for that role. Wow. Yeah, bullshit on a stick. I'm sorry. You, so you should be lucky that Sigourney Weaver said she'd be in your silly ghost movie. She made it, she elevated it. I mean, Rick Moranis is the star of that movie. I mean, in my, in my opinion, I've talked to Jack about this. Rick Moranis deserved his supporting actor nomination for his role. Oh my word, he was so good. But he I tell amazing. you what, you know, the, the um, incorrectly villainized character is Walter Peck. I know. The environmental guy. <laughs> you know, we all want Walter Peck. I want him. Team. Yes, 100%. <laughs> and so the point of that is, is that, yes, you're right that we were programmed. We're programmed to think that Benkman's the hero. We're programmed to think, in, I mean, talk about the Asian stereotypes, like 16 Candles, oof. Every time Long Duck Dong comes on the screen, they play a gong. I don't know if you've noticed, so but bad. next time you watch it, you won't be able to unhear it. Oh, my. And there's a, there was I, a, there was a, show called um oh fuck what was it called um uh thank you now nah, i can't remember what it's called it was anyway it was matthew perry and he was going through like trauma and his best friend was played by john cho and there's like a whole episode in that where they're talking about how to, where, where matthew perry's care it's called go on was the name of the show matthew perry mm -hmm. is like i didn't realize how least 16 candles was and john cho's like i did and that's it like yeah, yeah. it's just there like it's just a throwaway line in the show because like He's thinking, well, you're my best friend. They're friends their whole lives. Like that was the shorthand, like John Cho and Matthew Pierce. John Cho, fuck you. He also doesn't age. He's one of those mm. people with a portrait in the attic, fucker. Although I'm excited about Cowboy Bebop. I just turned Netflix back on, so I can't wait yeah, to watch that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so he, uh, so it's like, it, that, again, his whole life, his best friend is this Asian guy. And it never occurred to him that that was super offensive. And so the, the 80s were it was okay the revenge of the nerds that's okay to to you know take all these pictures you guys just did porkies all that was just in good fun the oh stuff God. that was that was done that was atrocious and so in art my dad i sat and watched those movies with my dad like he thought mm. that his favorite movie was animal house that yeah. movie's awful like objectively awful that's another ivan reitman film yeah, that movie yeah. terrible there was I'm, I mean, Tim Matheson's performance as Otter is okay, but there's so much stuff. Like, one of the main characters in that movie has sex with the 14 year old. Like, that's one of the jokes in that yeah. movie. And that's somehow funny. 
Um, my dad's favorite movie that he's watched with eight-year-olds. So you're right, we are programmed. The, the casual racism, sexism, homophobia, all of mm. that is part of growing up in that time. And, and so it is important, and I'm glad you brought it up, and it is important to say, I, I was small R race. You weren't a racist guy. You mm. don't, you know, but it's there and you don't know that you're doing it until yeah. then you get that chance. So I think I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's, I think that's really important. And I hope, um, and again, it's not excusing it, but it's acknowledging that we aren't bad people, but we just have these images put on us. We thought it was okay to, um, even on like Pee Wee's Playhouse, I don't, did that make it over there? You know what? It, it, I'm not even sure. I, I don't remember watching it. I'm okay. aware of it, but I, 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 don't, I don't remember it being like replayed on TV or anything. Pee Wee had mirrors on his shoes so he could look up girls' dresses. Yeah, sounds about right. On a Saturday morning cartoon. How weirdly meta for him, though. For him, I know. <laughs> well, he was writing that, so it wasn't even meta. It was just like a cry for help, I suppose. But... Um, no, I think that's a great point. And I think it's important for us to say, to say all this. And I think that's why the new kick-ass is a woman of color, Afghanist, Afghani war vet. Yeah. Um, and her name is Patience. So I think that's also a little yeah, on the nose. Yeah. But it's like, sorry, thanks for having patience with us. We're trying to fix it. Yeah. No, definitely. And, and, and I think the, the programming that I mentioned there is one thing, but... I think we all experience the world through our own eyes. You know, I, I'm a white guy. I look at the world. Uh, if I want to see myself represented, I switch on the TV. Doesn't matter what 100%. channel, yep. doesn't matter what time of day, any time. And I can see someone that I can associate with. And, you know, it's just opening your eyes to the fact that, oh, yeah, the these kind of like I say the the way that the people of color are, are represented in this book is not good, but it just reflects like pretty much from the eighties, you know, from my earliest memories, what I've kind of seen on TV and read in books and stuff. So, you know, I, I just want to pick up at one bit before we get onto Hit Girl, uh, the Mount Rushmore thing. Yeah. I, I, Tony, it wouldn't be an episode if I didn't mention Chris Claremont, because for me, he should be up there. And if I'm but talking he didn't about draw those. Yeah, true. We're talking true. artists. No, he's not well, the, he's not the, the amount of words. I'm sure you could almost call that artwork. That's true. Um... No, no. Chris is on, I think he's up there. No, no, I agree. He's on the he's on the top four for writers. I'd put him with it'd be it'd be Stan, it'd be Chris, it'd be Denny O'Neill, it'd be George. There's those are or uh, Marv Wolfman, those would be my yeah, see, I, I, oh, I love Stan, but for me, he'd be more of an architect. He'd be more mm. of a, a kind of plotter. Um, but if I think, you know, who, who writes and represents everyone equally uh, and, and develops proper three-dimensional characters, I, I'm sorry, but Chris he's is the, the man for me. No, he's the know? king. I mean, and it's like in God Loves, Man Kills. Talk about just like subtle things. Like Kitty's mm -hmm. got her star of David on. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. just like there. There it is. Deal with that. And that's in the scene where she's where the people are calling her muties and her her dance teacher, who's a woman of color, is telling mm. her to calm down. While she's wearing a star of David, they have the conversation about what if they drop yep. the N-word on you? And that's right in the book. 
And so there's mm -hmm. this really important conversation about racism and being uh, a mutant from a Jewish person. So I think, yeah, you can't. No, he's the king. Yeah. He's up there. No, no, he's top four without a doubt. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So, all right. So we've got about 20 minutes left here, Max, because I've got to go in, in 40 minutes. No worries. So you've got to make left. tea. <laughs> you've got to make dinner, haven't you? i got to make dinner. We've got a schedule to keep. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, we're, we're weird old people who live in Florida and we eat at five and I'm the family chef. That's my choice as the vegetarian, as the one who has picky choices, I feel like. Plus, I like cooking. So it's it's not a, it's not a thing. It's like so that. relaxing, it. isn't it? Yeah, I, I love I, it. Yeah, yeah. It's very a half good. an hour to an hour standing in the kitchen, got headphones in, listening to a book, listening to a show, oh, podcast. So whatever. good. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, you get it. So, um, so hit girl. So here's my hit girl thesis. I will hit you with it. And then you tell me if I'm crazy. So Hit Girl is a commentary on Electra, um, obviously. Um, and that's why Big Daddy is named Big Daddy. Because elect the Electra complex is that a woman is in love with her dad. So an Electra, of course, in, in Frank Miller's Electra, she's an, an assassin, you know, and her dad's involved there. So that's my dig. She's a little girl, so she's not sexualized, which I super appreciate. There's even a line in the movie where he's like the guy, I think it's the guy who's Quicksilver. He says, I think I'm in love. And the other guy says, um, dude, she's 12, which I thought was hysterical. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it's acknowledging that you're not supposed to, hit girl's not supposed to be sexualized in any way. And she's not. But, you know, so that's why she's not Electrica, but she is a, a uh, mini Electra, as it were. This is Electra, the early years. That's how I read Big Daddy and Hit Girl thoughts a bridge too far a bridge not far enough what do you make of hit girl and big daddy in general i think i'm gonna surprise you again i think hit girl in my head or head cannon as mike burden I, i'm yes, pretty yes. sure he coined that phrase it is a brilliant character absolutely love her you know, and especially the the combination of the the harsh language. You know, she swears like a sailor, doesn't she? Uh, but in a, the movie, a ten year old drop a see you next Tuesday. Yeah. So, but in the movie, where she is absolutely taking names, and you've got the banana splits theme tune music going, it is so perfect. And and hats off to Matthew Vaughn. Action is is something he does brilliantly. I'm reading this now, and I actually think Mindy has almost no agency whatsoever. Oh, she doesn't. Absolutely. That's the commentary yeah. on Electra. Electra yeah. has no agency. Electra's only Electra because her parents made her Electra. I agree. Yeah. That's the commentary. It's like, you love her. Everything that you just said is true. She's a little kid. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, all the things that she did, she was manipulated into doing by Big 100%. Daddy. Mm -hmm. and he's a villain again right? sorry he's a villain he is he yeah. is an absolute douchebag what a horror he's basically kidnapped mindy and then created this fantasy world and he's this massive comic nerd because he's got he's funding the whole thing with his massive stash of golden yeah. age you know, comics what brilliant artwork by the way i loved it amazing fantasy and you know x-men number one and, and everything yeah, yeah yeah it's so so good because this i mean we mentioned about image but back in the day it was icon wasn't it it was an imprint of marvel 
when the first Kick-Ass came out. Mm, right, right, okay. So it was more tied to Marvel than, than anything else. It was like Marvel's answer to create her own comics at the to time. Vertigo, yeah. Yeah, so, but the the thing that irritated me, and I'm, I'm struggling to find the actual page now, it's, it's somewhere near the end. It, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but it says something about, you know, when Mindy gives up being hit girl and she goes back to doing what little girls should do and i don't it just jarred with me a little bit that it's kind of like well so but it's okay for dave to carry on running around being kick-ass but but because she's a little girl it's wrong and i know that she had been manipulated and she was made to be this weapon but I, there was just something in that wording that just rubbed me the wrong way and i thought that was that was not good. And so I, I'd gone from, and I still think she's a great character, but it's the fact that she had zero agency that, again, I just thought, well, that's just a bit shit, really. <laughs> no, no, and I agree. That was my setup with the Electra thing, is the commentary on Electra. But we only see Electra as, you know, an adult, sexy, sexy, sexy assassin. I mean, that's how Electra is drawn. That's Frank Miller yeah. loves that. As you just heard on the last episode, everybody, we talk a lot about Frank Miller's sexualization of women in Sin City. I know you'll be shocked. That's the thing he does. Um, and he does it with his with Electra, of course. Hmm. But, um, and the name. <laughs> uh, but Electra has no agency too. And, and we don't acknowledge that. Where this is just acknowledging it. And so I agree with you. That line should have been to do what little kids do instead of little girls. If you didn't yeah. genderize that, yeah, 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 like like we said, between eight and ten, we don't really know. So it's like she just, but then you know, she does take names again, and of course, we know she comes back. She she comes back and comes back and comes back, and mm-hmm. um, as of course she's going to, because again, that's her training, and she gets more agency as the story goes on. She gets her own series. She gets a, a mm. Hit Girl mini, and then a Hit Girl running series. Hit Girl takes on Hollywood, run by Kevin. Yeah, Smith, so she's there. Um, I agree totally. And I think, again, that's been rectified as we go. But I think that is, again, a commentary on the passive nature of things that happen to uh, superheroes, but also things that happen to female superheroes. You know, it's like this just is something that happened to you as opposed to, I mean, I mean, Peter Parker didn't choose to be Spider-Man either. Right. That just happened to him with the great with the great responsibility line. But he didn't go plan to get bit by a radioactive spider. It just happened. Well, it's maybe a bit of a tangent coming here. One of the things, um, so with I'm going to say with Peter Parker and also Steve Rogers, I would argue that um, Steve Rogers was heroic before oh, he, he had the super soldier serum. Yes. So the fact that he had the super soldier serum meant that he was he could reach the peak of human potential, even though in the movies he's, he's a bit more than that. But, you know, that just gave him a body to execute on what was in his head. But he is heroic in himself. Yeah. And Peter Parker, I think even though he's got the powers, it was that learned uh, or taught lesson, if you like. The fact that he let the uh, the criminal go you know, because he'd been swindled out of some money and then he let him go. And then there was a consequence to that. So he decided not to act on it. He decided not to be the hero. And then his uncle Ben, his beloved uncle Ben died. So that taught him a lesson. So every moment in my life, I need to choose to be the hero 
because of what happened the last time. Sure. So uh, for me, you've you've touched on not a nerve, yes. but like yeah. a, a a thought. Uh, just that the the actual superpowers are not actually what makes the character heroic. Sure. Because they could choose to do something else with those powers. They could right. just like hang out. You know, swing. They could be villains through New York. Sure. They could be yeah. villains as well. Yeah, wouldn't make for a very comic, a very good comic if they just kind of hung out and you know, <laughs> use his web shooters to get a drink from across the room. No, exactly. I think, yeah, I think that's fair. But I also think that Mindy is also the victim of the circumstance. Who yeah. then later, not in these eight issues, but in later issues, makes the heroic choice because she has the yeah. training. It's in her muscle memory. She's already killed a bunch of people. So it's not like she has a problem killing. Um, yeah. As we see, this isn't the Silver Age. And so, uh, <laughs> no, but I agree. I think you're right that she doesn't have agency. And, and because we stop with eight, we don't see that she eventually gets it. But I also think we're, I think that's in, completely intentional. I think, again, it's the play on Electra. It's the play on the way that that some, you know, these people are brainwashed. It's a, it's a comment on the X-Men, as we've talked about, you know, is Professor X the villain? I mean, he's taking these young children at puberty and he's raising them up to be soldiers in a war of weapons. So, I mean, there's a lot of indoctrination there. I mean, Anakin is indoctrinated. That's why he becomes Darth Vader. He's indoctrinated by the Jedi, though. It's not, I mean, yes, the Sith tricks him, but he was already indoctrinated. All the Jedis, their lives are awful. You're taking three-year-olds and you're turning them into soldiers, not at 18, not at 17, at three. And so it's the same, it's the comment there. And the fact she's using swords, there's a comment on that too, you know? So it's all, mm. or even like the, the idea of samurai or the idea of any, um, any, you know, like historically, like sumo wrestlers. Those people aren't born sumo wrestlers. They're taken as young children and they're fed a certain diet to be that big, to be yeah, sumo. Yeah. That's something that's a whole, they don't choose. Nobody at four is like, yes. I would love to weigh 500 pounds and rub against other sweaty men. That's the job I want. <laughs> Please do that. But that's it. You don't wake up one day and become a sumo wrestler. You're trained to be that. So it's this, and it's again, a commentary on parenthood as we are parents. Um, mm. The stuff that you do, like you started by saying the good lessons you're trying to teach your kids, but we're also teaching, you know, there's shit that we've taught our kids. I taught my kids how to swear the right way. That was important to me. I would be like, you know, I'd let them listen to whatever. Let's listen to this music, but don't sing this song out loud at school. Um, for reals, you know, so it's like you do parenting is part of the commentary there too, but also everything else. And, and um, it's just Big Daddy obviously took it to an extreme because it's his own fantasy that he's lived out in Hick. He has made Hick Girl everything that he wished he could be. Do you not think though, the way, I mean, it was all done under torture. So, you know, you, you always have to think how reliable was that information. But actually, he seemed to, his heart seemed to be in a good place. He did it with the best of intentions. He wanted his daughter to have this exciting life. I but think it, the words yeah, yeah. were something like that. And it's like you deranged, du- deranged douchebag. You He's know, awful. right? What a terrible lesson. But but in his mind, he's thinking, well, I, I'm giving her, you know, a purpose uh, and giving her this exciting life. And so in his head, he is the good guy. And uh, you know, I, I do think that was um, 
And that, that was really interesting. And again, you know, not something by accident. It, it is clever writing. I, I do think it's good. And and I think, oh, what was the line? There was something about Democrats and how to identify Democrats because they'll happily kill babies and then sing a vigil when uh, for a serial killer or something yeah. like that. So yes. firmly putting him, you know, he's a definite, you know, died in the wall Republican, isn't he? Well, it's the argument of, um, have you ever seen any of the um, Death Wish films? You know, years ago. They're bad. Don't not rewatch very them. recently. Don't, don't. Yeah. But, and I didn't bother to watch that new one because like with Eli Roth, I'm like, listen, that guy, he, I think he misses... I don't, I'm not a big Eli Roth. I don't like torture mm. porn as horror. Like, I'm not a big fan. So him doing Death Wish, I was like, that's not going to be good. I can't yeah. imagine that's going to be good. But that's the whole argument of Death Wish. There was a guy in America who's called Bernie Getz. He was a real guy who was on a subway and got mugged. And so he killed the people because he had the right to care. So he became like a hero. Yeah. And so Death Wish is that. It's this whole thing. And like by the end, end like at the first movie, it's revenge. But then later as the movies go on, Charles Bronson, old Charles Bronson, carrying bags of like ice cream and whatever trying yeah. to get mugged so that he can kill people and like that's yeah, what big yeah, daddy's yeah. doing he's putting himself he's poking the mob yeah so that he can justify killing them they didn't show up at his house he showed yeah, up yeah. at their door and it was like oh what are you doing in here i busted in your door i see there's some illegal activities not to mention the fact that i just knocked the door down um so there is this comment on vigilantism. And of course, obviously with Kyle Rittenhouse going free, America has clearly decided vigilantism is cool. Um, and it's not cool. I, and it's all. I, I, I'm mindful that we're slightly time constrained here, yeah. but I've got to be honest with you, and I've not discussed this on any podcast up until now, but it seems like a natural yeah. place to go. I think, hand on heart, I'm going to struggle with this next Batman movie that's coming out. I get you. Yeah. It looks so, pretty gross because it's, he doesn't say justice. He says vengeance. Yeah. That whole that thing where he's, where he's basically get out of that guy. Yeah. He, oh. In the trailer, he is beating the living shit. He is dishing out his own form of justice. And it's a bit of a play on the whole. I'm Batman. It says I'm vengeance. And I, I find it stomach churning, to be honest. And, and I just, it, I'm gonna watch the movie, <laughs> but I'm I'm already thinking I I don't think I'm gonna enjoy this. This I I love I I've said this many times, but Scott Weatherly said I can't remember which episode it was. He's a Brilliant. white guy going out beating up poor people. One hundred percent. Brilliant. Totally just true. the best. And and I know you know Steve. I love Steve, and he worships Batman, and he's. It's fantastic, and I love that you know that someone can get that enjoyment. But I, I'm struggling to to really get behind that movie. And you know, I've been surrounded by Batman for all of my life. You know, it's either Adam West, Michael Keaton. I've got Court of Owls uh, by my bedside. Just Great there. Book. love that Court I, of Owls. I, it's good yeah, it's just there's something about that trailer that is just yeah. I wonder if there may be, I want to see it before I make my mind up, but it feels a little bit tone deaf, if I'm honest, it, from what no, I've seen. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, it's why I didn't, I didn't see Joker. I've never seen Joker. Mm. I'm not going to see Joker. I felt that was completely tone deaf in multiple ways. Um, because of course, 
you know, if you're a serial killer, there's a mental illness, but having a mental illness doesn't make you a killer. And again, I didn't see mm. it, but based on just what I saw and the Gary Glitter thing, I couldn't, I couldn't do oh, it. Oh my God. Um, so it was just like, that was my own choice. I'm not saying, not shitting on anybody who loves that movie or who wanted to see it. I was just like, I'm going to take a pass on you, that. You know what you could do? came out and said, I'm, I have to start making different movies because I don't know how to make comedies in this world, in this climate. I'm like, well, that's, and then you make a movie about a stand-up comic who becomes a serial killer. Well, to, are you projecting a little there, Todd? I just was too much for me. So I just chose to step away. So it'll be Honestly, tough. To, yeah, go, watch, sorry. Watch, watch King of Comedy. It's the same movie. Robert well. De Niro. It is yeah. the same movie. I didn't yeah, care yeah. for that either. Though. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think that was great. I know everybody says that's great. I'm like, eh. I mean, I'm not Scorsese's, I'm not saying taking mm -hmm. anything away from what he does. I mean, when people are like, I can't believe Scorsese hasn't won the best director Oscar. I can. Yeah, I can believe yeah. that. I mean, I thought his best film. I mean, I loved Hugo. <laughs> I thought that was glorious. I loved mm. Hugo. And I wish if he had won for anything, it should have been that. But um, or did he did win for was it Shutter Island or maybe he did win one finally? It doesn't matter. <laughs> he must have done. He, he, even if he's not, he, he must have got some live giant. Live yeah, yeah. But I'm not. I'm not. I, again, Jack's probably going to never want to speak to me again. But I'm not. I've already shit on Tarantino before. I'm not a big fan of Scorsese <laughs> for for a lot of reasons. I think his movies are paced poorly, and I think there's lots of glorifications and um, of things that are gross. And again, my great grandfather was a hitman. I'm not super. Th mm. I'm not. I don't think that's super cool. Like, I understand, like, I love a dumb action movie. You've said this about me. You're like, oh, you don't understand me. I read all these books, but I want a trashy action movie. And the reason I want a trashy action movie, the reason I want hit, hit, you know, kick ass and hit girl and all that, is because I know what it is. I know it's fiction. Yeah. Like yeah, movies yeah. that glamorize mobsters and make them the heroes. I have a hard time with that because literally mm -hmm. that's part of, and to me, my other great, -grand, one of my other great grandfathers, this is true, was in the clan. So I've got these, horrible people as the patriarchs in my family and you know there's nobody's making a movie like if it was like i'm gonna make a movie where the hero is a clan not like black clansman where the hero is a clansman but that's a joke like but reframing that movie where those assholes are the heroes nobody wants to see that movie nobody's gonna let you make that movie. but if you're like okay well i'm gonna make it where the hero is in the mafia you're like okay let's make that a whole series mm. you know I'm like, yeah, but those are the bad guys. So for me, because Scorsese, and I know that's his life. These are, this is what he knows. So you, 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 know, you project on where you grew up in New York mm -hmm. and this is the world. So I get it. But, it. but again, the reason I can get behind action movies and comic book movies and stuff is because those are fantasy, where your problem with Batman and the Joker is those aren't fantasy. That's just, again, crazy people in a suit that maybe take it a little, <laughs> beat up poor people. Yeah, so I agree. I mean, since the Nolan trilogy, they, they've tried to ground Batman. And that's why, you know, he's a little bit at his wings clipped, didn't he? In the whole Justice League. Um, I believe Chris and called I agree. him a fluffer. He did call him a fluffer. <laughs> it just was. You know, sometimes this is why, it, honestly, Chris always surprises me with some of the takes that he has, <laughs> which always makes it fun. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. I I enjoyed Joker, but again, in the same or not in the same, but it's in a similar way that I enjoy Kickass. I yeah. I really enjoy it, but I can recognise it does have its problems as well. Um, and and I'm just I, I'm glad that we had this talk. Yeah, me too. Because like I say, I I, I 
just uh, it was unconditional love for the book before, and and just I mean I, I, you know I was stressing at the weekend because I I'm kind of just behind in everything. I thought, oh my god, I've got eight issues to get through, but it's so breezy. Okay. It's not a t- <laughs> it's not dialogue heavy because no. your 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 point of view character is a mouth breathing sixteen year old boy. He doesn't have much to say. But but also just <laughs> the storytelling that John Romita Jr. does. Oh, he's the king. You know, with the artwork, I again, comic book artists. They just don't get the credit. I know that we have our rock stars, don't we? Jim Lee and what have you. But I think all of them, you know, just have utmost respect on deciding on the camera angle and what you're trying to show. And it it is so, so good. And I think um, I heard you talk, I think it might have been with Jack, about how today, you know, the, the comic books evolved where the, the artists are trusted a lot more yeah. to do the storytelling. So show, don't tell kind of thing. Whereas, you know, my, my favorite Claremont oh, liked to tell before he told, and then he told, and then he yeah. reminded you that he told you something. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did sometimes on the same page. Like, did, am, yeah. did I, did I have a stroke? Oh no, it's just over there. He said the same thing. Well, yeah. did you remember that Scott was always trying to hold back because he was nervous about using too much power, or that Wolverine had adamantium claws? I didn't know. I'm not did sure you, know you remembered that, that. Did you know that Shadowcat can walk through walls? That's weird. Yeah. Uh, was she Shadowcat then, or was she just called? She was Shadowcat for yeah, a, was. a while. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Ariel. I never liked her, Ariel or Sprite. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did, my God. The green so costume. Many didn't care for that. Yeah. Anyway, unfortunately, we're we could. That's a whole. We are out of time because of I am. I have to go make dinner. But um, as always, the beautiful thing about indie comic spotlight is you talk and talk, and you barely scratch the surface because that's what good art gives you. It gives you. I mean, the one time Mike and I covered uh, Second Coming, and we just talked about religion for an hour. That's because the to me that's the point of the show is you have a conversation and you go. I was just talking to somebody about his comic, and we ended up talking about Spotify. So you just. You go where the conversation takes you. So, Dave, thank you for being on episode 101. And obviously, we won't wait until 201 because you, you'll be on again. We've got other things we, we, you and I both would love to talk about. Um, what, you know, you're the busiest man in all of podcasting. So if you would like to tell people <laughs> who are here for Kick-Ass, they see Kick-Ass, they may just click on it because it says Kick-Ass. Tell them about your other ventures if you would like to. So, I mean, you can get me on Comics in Motion. We do TV and movie reviews with my co-host, Chris, there. We um, probably bi-weekly is the closest frequency at the moment. Um, But also, you can get me on the VHS Strikes Back. You can also get us on Chris and Dave's reality TV cast. Um, And, yeah, I I just love this stuff. And, you know, I I think one of the... um, questions tony i love that that you ask uh people is who who would you recommend this to that's the last question who's this for yeah i i just think well the obvious answer is any fanboy of comics that is who this is for this is a love letter to you and in particular you know if you're like me you're a, a, a middle-aged white guy it is probably speaking exactly to you but i don't think that is the the only group that that should read this i i just think 
It is definitely for fanboys. Um, but I th- and I I don't think the MySpace stuff dates it. Uh, you know, in terms of technology, you just have to go past that. But yeah, I I just think um this is a great read. It it's comics trying to grow up essentially i think you know it's, it's like being aware of comics and what they were and what what the it doesn't speak too much about the golden age but it definitely pokes fun at the silver age and that kind of imprint that we have about what a hero or a superhero should be and um yeah I, I just think it's great it's just you kind of have to get past the problematic bits <laughs> or, or, but, or get past, don't get past them, but grapple with them like we have. Give them mm. their air, give them yeah, the time. Yeah. Think about the lens and say, like, why was this here? Was this intentional? Think about the other characters of color who are, you know, who are not villains in this and what does that mean? And what, you know, so there's a lot to do. I think we've, I appreciate that that's where the conversation went because I think that's, you can't, you know, it could have gone a million different ways. And so, um, Thank you for doing that. I think that was important. And I had a blast. It's always always good to see you and talk to you. And thank you again for letting me have this opportunity to do 100 more or maybe 200 more or however oh, many more. It's my pleasure. So, so podcasting is no longer a thing. We'll still be out there. And um, you mentioned it. And the song I was going to end with um, is back in the 80s, there was a, a CD back people. CDs are these silver things um, that had music <laughs> on them. And it was called Saturday that, Morning Cartoons. I also had it on audio cassette. <laughs> And um, it was called Saturday Morning Cartoons where like rock stars and pop stars of the 90s redid songs. And so Liz Fair, the indie rocker Liz Fair and her friends, Material Issue, which is a pop band that I love, did the Banana Splits theme song. Nice. <laughs> so oh, we'll, I think I might have heard this. It's actually. so good. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. It's like a punk version yeah. of the Banana Splits, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, so, so That's what we'll hear on the way up because I own that album, of course. Um, I love it. I love it. Um, I bought it on cassette. I have it on CD. So we'll listen to Liz Fair and Material Issue. No longer a band because unfortunately the lead singer passed away. Loved Material Issue. But here you go. Banana Splits. Thank you, Dave. We'll see everybody next time. Bye now.